and it might not happen in the same way to someone else, but it did to me. I felt so pressed down, so loaded down with conviction that I actually remember thinking, how can the wheels on this bicycle still keep turning and stay around? It seemed they should have been flattened by all that weight. This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big miraculous ways all the way down to small everyday things. Hi, this is Camus, and welcome to this week's episode of God is Real, God is Good. This week we have Larry Brown with us, and Larry is the husband of Rhonda, who goes out with me all the time and helps out with my Bible studies and stuff, so I really love her. And Larry was a pastor, and he shared a sermon at our church several months ago about his green chair, and Kylie and I really liked it. So since then, we have been meaning to ask him, and we finally got around to asking him to share his story, and obviously he agreed. So Larry, why don't you tell us where you're from? I grew up in northeastern Oregon in a little town called Elgin up in the Blue Mountains. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very close, but it takes several hours to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the windy, twisty roads and things. Some of my favorite scenery between here and there. Mm. Yeah, it is really beautiful in this area. Alrighty, I guess we will pray then, and you can um, tell us about your religious background, and you said that kind of leads into your story. Okay. Dear Father in Heaven, thank you for Larry and his willingness to share his story. Just be with him, give him the words to speak, Lord, and just give us the ears to listen and to learn something from his story. Amen. Okay, you wanted to hear something about my story this morning? Yes. And I uh, go back and forth trying to figure out exactly where my story starts, and uh, obviously all of our stories go back further than we can remember. Yeah. But uh, I, I remember that uh, my mother raised me to the best of her ability to be a Christian and a Seventh-day Adventist that had come from her parents, mm-hmm. and uh, that my father did not share that. That wasn't part of his heritage. Yeah. And, you know, my story includes why that all happened, but I don't think we'll go back quite that far this morning. Just to say that I was raised with two examples in my life. My mother setting one example, my father setting another example. Hmm. And I, as the only boy in a family of four children, somehow took it as my responsibility to grow up to be like my dad. Hmm. And when I was along about 14 or 15 years of age, my parents unfortunately parted ways and I announced to everybody's surprise that I was going to be staying with my dad. Oh, really? And that I wasn't going to be attending church anymore, and that was, my life was going to follow his direction. Mm. I don't even know what that sounded like coming out of the mouth of a 14 or 15-year-old, but that's what happened in my life. Yeah. And my dad had an interesting philosophy. With his perspective and his experience in life, I found out later, in hindsight, that his approach to someone raised as sheltered and as naive as I was by my mother with her Mm -hmm. perspective, uh, that the best hope for me, in his eyes, was to turn me loose and let me grow up fast. Oh. And so his 
parenting philosophy from for the, my last few years at home was to try to keep me out of serious trouble, but otherwise let me skin my knuckles and learn my way around fast. Oh, goodness. And so that's what he proceeded to do. Hmm. And uh, I, had, I had grown up with these two different points of view in my life. Now, I don't mean to belittle my mother's perspective in any way. Perspective, her faith by any means. Yeah. Uh, I grew up looking at them and contrasting what their life seemed to be with what my life was under my mother's leadership and training. Things that I can't do and that they focused on the things that looked like a lot of fun to me. <laughs> they got to do things and go places that just I, I envied all through my childhood. And so, and so when I had the opportunity, I set out to find and experience all the fun that I thought I'd been missing. Hmm. Imagine, don't spend too much time on it, but imagine a boy of 15 suddenly able to look for fun wherever he wants. Hmm. Uh, it was not something I would recommend yeah, <laughs> to no. anyone else. First and foremost, because of the long-term cost yeah. to myself and to others. But I also noticed something. Uh, I spent six years in the Navy and went here and there and everywhere and just did my best to find that elusive fun mm. at almost any cost. And, and I... It, it took me around 10 years. I discovered as the years went by something that I... There was something that I'd never learned as a child, and that was that what I thought was fun turned out to be hurtful. People, people got hurt by everyone running their own direction and trying to get the enjoyment they wanted. Other people ended up paying the price for it. Discover. Mm. Uh, but it did finally become clear to me. And at, at about the same time, I fell in with some friends who, well, let's say they probably lived life much like I had. Mm. But there were also some, some among them who were toying with the idea of a Christian experience at that time. They began wanting to talk about the Bible and about spiritual things and I knew all about that, of course, because my mother had tried to raise me that way, and so we would get into these discussions and, you know, making claims and counterclaims, and back and forth we'd go for hours and hours, for days, for weeks, off and on. And that began to weigh on me a little bit. It began to, to nibble around the edges and, and provoked me to think about those kinds of things again. And that's about the same time that I was discovering that all of my fun had sharp edges. That was the Spirit of God at work in my life, though yeah. I, I didn't know those things at that time. Mm -hmm. I just had this subject on my mind more and more often. And... We had some issues with this episode. Um, the mic dropped, and basically what Larry was saying is that he had an ethics class and the professor asked them. He asked, asked the class, or the, the question we based the entire quarter on was the question, what is the basis upon which I ought to decide what to do? An ethics class, you know, what's, yeah. what should motivate my actions. And I remember telling my friends as I wrote the term paper at the end of this quarter, 
I, I have to stop. If I wrote another page on this question, I would have to become a Christian. Hmm. Because I was beginning to reason through cause and effect and, and what makes a decision right and what makes a decision wrong. Yeah. I, among many other things going on at that same time, that was something that provoked me. And I, I began to feel so convinced. I began to be more and more convinced of what my mother had taught me. And once an idea like that gets started in my mind, it gets pretty difficult to get it out. It, yeah. it piles up and it gets bigger and it gets heavier and it gets more insistent. And by the way, I had been having so much fun that I no longer had uh, transportation mm. and I was unemployed quite often and uh, my, my car had long since given it up and I was getting to and from work and the different places I needed to go on, a, on an old broken bicycle that I think I paid 50 or $75 for. It, it worked fine Yeah. Uh, in good weather. In, in the rain, it got a little uncivilized. I bet. Uh, but uh, I, I, I never knew before what happens when you ride a bicycle without a rear fender on a muddy road. Oh, no. You get a wet black stripe right up the middle of your back. <laughs> so that's how much fun I was having in my adventuresome life. But I was, I had been visiting my friends and we'd been having one of these lively discussions about the Bible and this pressure had been mounting so much inside of me mm. that I will, for the rest of my life, remember that bicycle ride home. Mm. And it might not happen in the same way to someone else, but it did to me. I felt so pressed down, so loaded down with conviction, that I actually remember thinking, how can the wheels on this bicycle still keep turning and stay around? It seemed they should have been flattened by all that weight. It was so pointed mm -hmm. to me. And I knew that it was because I had to make a decision and that it would change my life forever. Mm -hmm. And so at that point out there on the road in the middle of the night, my response finally was, all right, yes, I will become a Christian. Mm, amen. Now, I look back at that, and I've had the blessing of leading others to, to Jesus through the years, and I don't think I've ever recommended to anybody that they speak to the Lord in quite that way at that point, but that's what happened for me. Mm. And in my to the pressure that was so overwhelming on me that I must make a decision, so I gave up and made a decision. By the way, I have looked back at that decision all through my life and I've never for a moment regretted it. Mm -hmm. It was the right choice. And I, I tell that story in part because I believe, well, let's, let's say it this way. I felt that weight that I had been carrying on my back dissolve and just roll away. Mm -hmm. There's no better way to express it. It was gone when I said those words. It was gone when I made those, that choice. Oddest impression, riding my bicycle down this quiet road, houses off in the distance. I could hear nothing from the houses, but there was music playing somewhere. Mm. And it wasn't the kind of music I'd been accustomed to listen to either. <laughs> I felt a distinct sense of God's 
presence and his blessing that didn't in itself motivate anything, but just gave me the affirmation that he heard where my heart was. And I appreciated that. And I, I treasure it. I, I look back at it mm -hmm. and treasure it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to give the impression that that was the last time I faced anything that was challenging in my experience. I started out like a newborn and then like a toddler. It was destined to do, what do they call them, face plants on the floor? Yeah. Uh, There's quite a bit of that that went on. Mm -hmm. And I went off to college to study and learn, and I admire my professors for their patience <laughs> with me. And so I, I went all the way through school and began even at that point to make unwise decisions that, such that I did not immediately enter ministry. Mm. Uh, and it was after, I, I believe it was about seven years after that point, where I found myself and still processing this thing called Christianity, still trying to learn and grow. And the shape that that seemed to take for me, most often, aside from the formal education, the shape that that seemed to take for me was this series of, I never timed it, but I did notice that repeatedly I would have these times of turmoil, of distress within myself over the same subject. And that subject, though I never really clearly defined it in my mind, that subject had to do with my walk with God. Mm. It was, it usually presented itself as... It was the desire to have a right relationship with God. I, I remember looking under the floor in the house I grew up in as a child, and it was dark and there were spider webs. And I make it sound a little bit funny, but of course when it has to do with your salvation, it isn't all that funny. Mm -mm, it's concerning. It, it gets pretty heavy. And this subject would come up for me again and again through the years. And each time I would pray about it and examine it and do my best to think, what is it that I need to get out of my life so that I can be ready for Jesus to come, so that I can be right with him, so that my life is on the right foundation. Mm -hmm. One evening, unexpectedly, and this is the story that you referred to when you talked about that green chair sermon. Mm -hmm. It just so happened that that was the uh, picture that I had in my house. A little uh, five or six hundred square foot, we called it a mother-in-law house, out behind the landlord's property up on a hill. But uh, that was our newlywed home. And that just happened to be where this issue surfaced for me again one night. And I felt it coming on and I recognized it and I was beginning, beginning to get tired of opening this thing up and examining it and, and accomplishing nothing and closing it and putting it away again because I couldn't overcome it, I couldn't fix it. Yeah. And finally I decided, I remember deciding, I, I'm, I'm not going to do this again. Mm. I am going to get down on my knees and, yes, put my face in that old green chair, and I am going to stay there. I am going to present this to God. I believe that He listens. I believe that He knows what's going on here. I am going to set it in front of Him, and I will be here as long as it takes. Mm. 
I need to know what it is in my life that I need to clean out. I, I must know that I am accepted by God. Yeah. So I got comfortable there on my knees and got uncomfortable in my mind and, and presented my struggle to God. I, the words aren't important. I don't remember the words. Yeah. The time that passed isn't important. I don't know how long it was. I never did know how long it took that I was there on my knees telling God much of what I've just told you and a few more details and, and presenting my need to him. I don't understand, but this keeps coming back. I'm making my request to God at as much length and as many times as necessary. We were going to have a result. And at some point in the conversation, I remember thinking of the Bible verse. Actually, it, it ran through my mind, that verse in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, that says, To as many as received him, who believed in his name, speaking of Jesus, uh, to them he gave power to become the children of God, who were born not according to the flesh, but according to the will of God. And it even says, not according to the will of man. But of God. Now, it must not have been important to know how long I was there. But at some point, a little light came on, a little question mark surfaced in my mind. Um, that verse that just ran through my head, that wasn't what we were talking about. Hmm. I was talking to God about something else, and then this verse ran through me. Where did that come from? Well, it was a dangerous question to ask, of Yes, course. very much so. Because it dawned on me that that hadn't come from me and hadn't been part of my own thought, thought process, but it was a Bible verse that I was familiar with. And I asked the question... What's that about? Where did that come from? Is that meaningful? Mm. And again, I don't know how long this conversation went on, but the lights began to come on for me. It had been wearing me out. Yeah. So it was very significant to me to introduce that strange, unexpected Bible verse into this conversation. And however much time passed there in that green chair that night, at the end of it, I had a new look at life and a new look at my walk with Jesus that I have gone back to and touched on for reassurance countless times through the years since then because I discovered something completely new and unexpected as a result of that Bible verse. I was struggling, sincerely it seems, I was struggling over the wrong question. Suddenly I found that what I had been doing is struggling to become a Christian. I was fighting to find assurance that Jesus had accepted me. And yet back there on that bicycle, with its round wheels despite the weight, he had accepted me. And I had been learning and growing for those seven years. I was trying to accomplish what Jesus had already accomplished in me. Yeah. And that, boys and girls, is a waste of energy. Yes. <laughs> it just isn't what our energy needs to be directed towards. Mm -hmm. It was futile for me, except as it finally led me to that understanding. Mm. 
that I was already born again. Yeah. I was not all grown up. <laughs> no, not. I was not wise and experienced. But I came to understand that I had already been born. I was already a member of the family. And it was because God brought that about in mm -hmm. my life. Nothing I could do could make me any more born than I already was. And so I began to learn, I began to discover. Began to understand what it means to trust Him mm. instead of somehow to try to qualify myself for His acceptance. Yeah. Uh, so that's has been and continues to be a blessing to me, a reassurance and assurance to me and evidence in my mind that God cares enough about me not only to give me new life, mm -hmm. but to bring me to a point where I could finally understand that if we believe, if we accept his promises, we are already his children. Yeah. If we have believed, if we have accepted, he's going to take us from there. And, and now we can concentrate on growing rather than on being born. Yeah. It's much more productive struggle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something you can actually do some, well. Yes, yes. I'll share one more step in the journey with you, if you'll allow me. Yes, for sure. And this one came along a few years later also. I had gone on a journey of, I guess, having experienced a renewed call to pastoral ministry and couple more years of school of different kinds and uh, began to work in pastoral ministry and uh, and having lots of learning experiences along the way and uh, by the way just in case some of your listeners don't quite have a grasp on this I'll let you in on a little secret I think there's more Christian and growth and development more lessons to learn serving as a pastor, going through life as a pastor, than there ever were before I started that. Mm. So don't... <laughs> I, I have to... I have to... I have to reminisce for a moment that there was a member in one of the churches where I pastored who made the observation one day. Looking at me that this individual had always thought that somehow I pretty much all had it together. And I was dumbfounded. <laughs> To hear that. I, I did my best to uh, have a teaching moment at yeah. that point to let this individual know that this just isn't the way it is at all. There's, there, is, there is sin in our lives. There are weaknesses. Yeah, probably even more so because you're given the responsibility of leading God's flock and helping, you know, encourage those people and strengthen them. So, of course, God's going to make sure that you're where you need to be and strengthened and encouraged in your faith because you so need that. And your mistakes have bigger feet. Yes. And they cause more damage. <laughs> anyway, sure. just just a, uh, that's at no additional charge. But just, <laughs> oh, just, just throw you. that in for free. So here I have been a pastor at this point for several years. I, I can't put a, a date on this one, but I had been a pastor for several years, and I, I think it was still within the first five or six years mm. of ministry, after some time away and some time in seminary and so on. Very positive in that uh, area that I was working in was that they would, uh, the, the church leadership, the, the conference leadership, 
once a year as pastors to go to a prayer retreat for mm -hmm. pastors. And it was just us and our families and uh, a couple of people facilitating. And, and we would have study and guided discussions and lots of prayer sessions. And yeah. uh, one of the days each year was an evening meeting and prayer. And in between the calendar was clear. And we were encouraged to go wherever it worked for us, preferably out in nature, and to find ways to speak to God and to listen to God. Mm -hmm. And we could get together at night and we could, you know, tell our stories if we wanted to. Yeah. I remember a couple of things about that day changed my life from that point on. And it's, it's been something that's been very instructive to me. I'm happy to say I didn't have to go back and learn my initial two lessons over again. I remember somehow whoever was facilitating had raised the question. Actually, I don't know if someone suggested it or if it just came to mind for me, but on that scheduled day alone with God, early in the morning, I remember in my own silent prayer asking God to show me what I look like in His eyes. Mm. To give me a picture of myself as I really am. Now, so I think you know how this usually works. I ask him what I ask him for, and then I have to go to work and, you know, lift weights all day or whatever it is I do. And it goes out of my mind. Mm -hmm. So here we are at our prayer retreat, and I set out to have a day alone with God. And I don't even know where I went to be alone with God. But I remember as I started to do it, to go there wherever it was, I remembered something that I had said to someone and felt a little uncomfortable about it. Mm -hmm. I felt a little mildly embarrassed. And that perception became a pattern for the rest of the day. Mm. I, I didn't, didn't even notice it happening at first, but I do remember looking back that more and more I could see something that I had said or done or even that I had thought or felt and thought, oh, well, that wasn't very nice. Mm. And along about midday, I was carrying around a, a feeling that I have really never felt before, uh, a, a perspective that I'd never experienced before, I was beginning to see, and, and these thoughts are closer together and getting more and more intense, I was beginning to see, thought of, I'm re replaying my earlier thoughts in my mind at this point, yeah. I was beginning to get out those thoughts that had been correct. I was getting out those things that I was checking off at the moment and thinking, okay, I did that one right. And those thoughts or those feelings or those assumptions were coming back to me. And they were producing in me a feeling, something like the feeling of a two or three year old boy who gets caught rummaging around in someone's things mm. when he isn't supposed to be there. I felt caught. Hmm. I felt dirty. And there's nothing quite like 
being a grown man and a leader of others on an innocent prayer retreat, suddenly feeling as though you've been caught naked in public. And I was in public, but I was modestly dressed. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's just make that clear. But I felt humiliated. Mm-hmm. I felt contaminated. I felt dirty. And I was thinking about the things I'd done right. Mm-hmm. I suddenly saw my best efforts and my best intentions about everyday things, about my thoughts and interaction with my fellow pastors that morning. I suddenly saw my best intentions as something that needed to be drug out and buried. Mm-hmm. They were filthy. They were childish. They were immature. They were self-centered. Mm-hmm. They were that embarrassment. And I'm not talking to anybody about this. Mm-hmm. These are the way my thoughts were going as the day went on. Yeah. And it just happened, in quotes, that that evening when we came together for our prayer gathering at the end of the day, that there were a group of people present among us, part of our group, who had a special prayer ministry going on to pray for the people in the different parts of the room. I noticed over this terrible thing that was going on in my mind, I noticed that there were others that weeping as they prayed. Mm -hmm. And now that, by the way, wasn't me. Yeah. As we get older, sometimes our emotions do get the best of us. But that wasn't the way it was for me at that time. But as we began to, as I began to pray that evening, I soon discovered that I'd reached a point that the only reason that my face was not pressed against the floor was because there happened to be a chair under it. I was down on my knees, even lift my head, because I was so unworthy of the air I was breathing. Mm. It was profound, it was ugly, I was horrified that someone might see what was in my mind, and yet there was no pride left, Mm. because I was overcome. I can't help but think, I wasn't thinking of this at the time, but I can't help but think of the words, wasn't it, of Isaiah? Yeah. Woe is me. I am a person of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Those weren't just words. That was overwhelming. Mm. I couldn't, I, I could not raise my head or my hands. The only thing I could squeeze out of my mouth through the tears was, I am worthless. Mm. Now at about that time, my brothers in Christ who were engaged in their prayer ministry saw what was going on with me as I couldn't see it, and they darted over and laid hands on me and began to pray with me and remind me that the word is not worthless, the word is unworthy. Mm. And the next thing I remember after our time for prayer had gone by, was that that awful feeling, that awful weight of conviction of filth had eased from me, and I was able to function again. Mm. And it was somewhere during that experience, I can't put a finger on where, 
it was somewhere during that intensity of experience that evening that a curious little memory crossed my mind. Um, I asked God just this morning to show me what I really am, who, who I really am and what I really look like in his eyes. Mm. Oh, that's what's been happening all day. Mm. That's what put me face down this evening. Yeah. That's what took the breath out of me. That's who I am. Sustained me in the numerous years since that time. That has been another of those rocks that I can go back and touch and say, I was here. God showed me this. I never need to question it. Mm. That has helped me a great deal in the years since then to keep my perspective. I've told God repeatedly, if you need to show me that again, you go ahead and do that. But if it's all the same to you, I would just as soon remember it mm. as go through it again. And I treasure that experience because it helps me to remember who has the power in my salvation. Who is it that deserves salvation? It will never be me. This is all about Jesus. Amen. It will never be me. I would never suggest this lightly or trivially. But if you find yourself imagining that you can somehow clean up your life so that you can walk with God as you should, there's mm -hmm. a conversation that's missing in your life. You need to ask him what I asked him. Mm -hmm. uh, don't do it as a lark. Yeah. Don't do it out of curiosity. He may show you in some other way. He may have already shown you in some other way. But I will never imagine that I can in any way deserve or qualify for God's grace mm. because I know now what's inside. Yeah. That's been the most practical and most deeply rewarding and blessing picture of grace that I've ever seen mm. because it showed me what he's working with in my life. No, no amount of polish, no amount of education, no amount of, de no amount of determination, no amount of experience can clean up that mess. Mm -hmm. That's in his hands. I've done my best to try to make those clear. <laughs> I, I hope that that's helpful to you and to your listeners. Uh, God has been very good to me, and those are just a few stories, but those are the ways in which he has convinced me that he is a loving God and that he is a personal God and that he has me well in hand. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's Isaiah who says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And yes. I, I don't think we should always stick on the woe is I that we are so sinful and degraded. But I do, because I feel like that can lead to self-hate and that's not always a good thing. But I feel like we should realize that yes, we are sinful, we are dirty, we are totally depraved. Without God we would be nothing. Yes, Thank you. This is not, I don't recommend this, and I don't take this as something to wallow in and commiserate in. Yeah, no. This, this was a lesson. Yes. This was, this was an educational moment where he showed me what I asked him to show me, mm -hmm. what I really look like. And I think that's important for growth as well, because 
it's hard to grow when you think that you're okay. And when you're like, I'm all right, I can do this on my own, Lord. Newsflash, you're not. You're not. You need to wake up and see that it's really God who's the one working and changing you. And I really like that that one gentleman put out, you know, we're unworthy, not worthless. Because yes. there's this new concept I've been reading about, and it's worth isn't based in the value of the object per se, but in the price paid for it. Correct. Yeah, so when he's talking about us, he's saying our, our worth, the price paid for us is Jesus' blood, so how great is our worth that God deemed us valuable enough to pay in his own blood for us? Mm-hmm. Though we are undeserving of it, we have worth because of what Jesus paid for us. So from that angle, I might have been learning that day how much he really paid, mm-hmm. how much he had to pay to get me out of there. Yes, because when you realize how far we truly have fallen, then you can really see, like, wow, the price that was paid, like, how much sin he really had to cover, how much we really have to change. And sin is not about, oops, I made a mistake. Mm-mm. Sin is about my best efforts, my best intentions, being so hopelessly rotten. Mm-hmm that they have no value except as that I choose to let him fill me. Yeah. A lot of people think, you know, righteousness is right doing, but it's not right doing. It's about... Only if it comes from righteousness. Yes. Which is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has to do with intentions, too, because you can do right things with selfish intentions, and that doesn't make you righteous, so... I think the picture I saw was that I don't have anything but selfish intentions. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not capable. Mm-hmm. And that's it's, fine. Except when I cry out for help. Yeah. And that's where the help comes from. Yes. Or, well, when, when the help comes, I should say. It comes from him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You didn't ask me to come lecture. That's okay. Thank you, Larry. I really appreciate it. I really liked your stories. I think, I think unfortunately, it's a sad um, line that we sometimes walk is... Even though our parents will raise us like rightly or give us good foundations, realizing that we need God and turning to Him can always be that little bumpy transition that I think is realizing that you can't just live with your parents' faith or that you have to make a decision about those things. And it has to be your own. There are no second-generation Christians. No. <laughs> God only has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. Uh, never to demean or discredit the value of a Christian upbringing, of course. But yeah. it's still a decision we need to make for ourselves. No, a Christian upbringing is great, but you you can't just have that. You right. have to have something more for sure. And I think in my own life, that green chair story, like realizing that like we can't be born again. We like we can't make ourselves right with God. Right. I think that's a hard concept, at least for me, growing up in the church, where unfortunately sometimes well-meaning people can make faith a little works-based. It's sometimes hard to remember that, like, no, God is the one that gave birth to us. He's the one that changes us, and we need to rest in that fact and stop trying to give birth to ourselves or make ourselves right. Not that we don't, to some extent, have to, like, come to God and surrender, but, like, that's our part, that surrender and that not. As we continue to surrender day by day, in situation by situation, that's the process of growth. Mm -hmm. It is the initial surrender that leads us to birth. 
Yeah. But after that, it's growth. Yes. And learning that can it's, be so... can be painful. Yes. I have a dear friend who likes to point up the contrast in, in describing the gospel message and the Bible message. Are we talking about conversion and mm. salvation, or are we talking about a process of behavior modification? Mm. And that has been a part of the ebb and flow amongst Christians since the days when Paul dueled with James over what we do and what the significance of it is. Mm -hmm. And we need to, to keep both our faith and our actions in mind, and we also need to keep them in perspective mm -hmm. so that one doesn't take the place of the other. Yes, and we don't end up feeling like we never had this conversion even though we did because... Right. We feel dirty. Like, we're sinful people. You know, it's going to take a while for us to change, to grow, to learn to trust God. But that doesn't mean you never had that conversion, you know, or you never had that walk or that love with God. It just means you've fallen and you messed up. And, like, that's not fun and that's not necessarily great. But, you know, a righteous man follows seven times when he rises again. But the wicked man only falls once. No number of times isn't important, just getting which of, back up. Yeah, which of us growing up has never fallen down and skimmed something? Which of us has never gone down the wrong path intentionally and yet still been loved and accepted by our parents? Mm -hmm. It's a growth process. It is for sure. So anyway, thank you Larry. Um, really appreciate it. Everybody comment in or tell Larry what you thought and maybe he can actually respond to some of that. Anyway, thank you, Larry, and guys, tune in next week for Kylie recording somebody else. Bye! If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page, that is God is Real, God is Good Podcast, or you can email us at God is Real, God is Good Podcast at gmail.com. Bye! Bye.